Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this show, we aim to interview leaders from a range of performance disciplines within the tactical performance space to help you improve performance at the individual and organizational level. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show, guys. You'll notice we don't run any ads here, but we do ask for you to pay a simple and small fee. And that fee is this. If you find value in the show, I'm pretty confident in the arcs we have some incredible guests each week, then please share the show. You know, if you're chatting with friends and colleagues about education and development, please recommend us. As I said, you know, we don't run ads here and we continue to grow organically through you, the listener. So please spread the word and help us get this information out to a lot more people. Now, on this week's show, I'm joined by Joseph Alamini. Joseph is a solutions architect for KBR's Government Solutions US business. In his current role, he is a strategist and technical expert on human performance and associated technology for business development. His expertise is utilized to drive business development, monitor market conditions, and project market trends, as well as foster relationships with industry leaders in the health and human performance domain. Joe received his undergraduate degree in exercise physiology from the University of Massachusetts. He also holds a graduate degree from the University of South Carolina in exercise science. During his studies here, Joe was the program manager for the most comprehensive assessment of physical activity during U.S. Army initial entry training. His formal training spans 20 years from various assignments in and out of uniform at the U.S. Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine, Army Public Health Center, and Defense Health Agency Research and Development Directorate. He also serves in the U.S. Army's National Guard as a clinical laboratory coordinator. Having these diverse experiences and escalating roles and responsibility allows him to see the health and human performance space from the tactical, operational, and strategic level. In this episode, Joe talks about his journey into the military, his move to work with KBR, what KBR are doing to help enhance the tactical organization landscape, some of the emerging themes in the tactical space, and some of the challenges and opportunities within the tactical space. With large company KBR, we're looking to innovate in the industry, we're looking to grow the business, and we're looking to be uh, influential in the next 10 years of what healthy and human performance looks like. And this mm-hmm. is in accordance with what our customers would want to see their vision come through as. Good afternoon, Joe, and welcome to the podcast, bud. Oh, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, no worries, man. Thank you once again, Joe, for just, you know, initially reaching out over social media and connecting. It's been great just to, to meet you and have some great conversations so far with you, dude. Yeah, no, this, this is a, this is a tremendous opportunity. Um, it's always good to, to meet like-minded professionals in this field. Uh, some of my colleagues have been on your show. We, we were discussing that uh, beforehand and uh, they're singing your praises. And this is a much needed voice in the community to sort of socialize the, the let's say less than traditional aspects of strength conditioning, integrated health care um, and helping our tactical professionals and uh, allied care um, providers. Definitely, definitely, man. I appreciate that, dude. Um, obviously, Joe, as I've mentioned, you know, me and you have had the chance to, to chat a fair bit and connect. And, you know, you've got a really interesting background to you as well and good insight into the way things are going. For anyone who hasn't, you know, come across you before, Joe, and, you know, the work you've done, can you just give us an overview of, you know, where your career started out and where you're currently at? Yeah, yeah. I'll kind of, I'll kind of like scope it out for, I, I think everyone in this field kind of has the same sort of story, let's just say. Uh, high school athlete, you know, and uh, uh, my senior year, I just wanted a, an advantage because I wasn't that good of an athlete and I'm, and I'm still not into my elder years, but um, I wanted, I wanted an advantage and I thought, well, maybe I can take advantage of science, right? And 
I didn't know what that actually meant at the time, but I took an anatomy physiology course and I really, you know, kind of enjoyed learning about it. And I just then started working out on my own. I started reading all these sort of old, older bodybuilding magazines. So Muscle Meeting 2000, uh, Muscular Development. And this is, this is part of the time when these high powered scientists were writing for them. So Dr. Fleck, Dr. Kramer, for example, they were writing for muscular development in the, you know, showing my age, but in the, in the mid nineties. So, um, you know, then I go off to college, no, no longer in athletics, but, you know, just really interested in the field of health and wellness and like, you know, how does a muscle get larger? You know, how do you increase your aerobic capacity? Um, so I majored in biology I didn't even know a program like exercise science like that existed, <clears throat> but I just continued to read, continue to read and went up at a, a, a really good undergraduate uh, institution that had very high powered um, researchers in the field of exercise science. Um, so from there, uh, during a sort of internship, uh, pardon me let, me, let me step back. I had to do an internship for my senior year of, of college and everyone was doing strength conditioning, or they were trying to get on, you know, semi-professional professional teams. And I was late to the game because I completely procrastinated. And there was two opportunities available, both the research facilities. And I said, well, I don't like research, but I had to do it. So um, I think we're going to get to it later. But um, so I decided to do a research internship. It's called the USARIM's Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine. They do um, a tremendous, tremendous amount of physical performance research. Um, Loved it. My mentor convinced me to join the military. I think I was there for maybe six weeks, still in college. And it did, I enlisted into the military. It was, I went to the delayed entry program. And as soon as I was done my internship, uh, I, I left for um, I left for basic training and came back. They they were that the laboratory was actually was able to sort of grab me back from uh, from my from my training, and uh, was there for about six years and spent that doing performance physiology research and just really loved it, really loved it. Um, left there, went back to graduate school. I left active duty, wound up realizing that I really missed that culture, um, that that culture, the, the military culture was sort of in me. Um, and and I, I missed that camaraderie. So I joined the National Guard again while in graduate school. <clears throat> what, you know, and I'm still in, still in National Guard. Uh, did that just continue on from sort of job to job and had some great opportunities working with some of the, you know, um, some of the new uh, physical performance tests that the Army has put out in the last like three to five years. Um, and I'm currently with... Um, obviously, Joe, awesome, awesome career path. That sounds like you've had so far. And uh, if we take it right back for a second there, I mean, mm -hmm. you're preaching to the choir, dude. Uh, early 90s. I got into like bodybuilding as well and like hearing you chat about muscular development flex magazine that was yeah. like the holy grail to me i was just like okay so this is this is performance training obviously every yeah. same sort of training split it's like okay cool um but what what uh what was your sport in high school dude i played baseball i played baseball in high school nice man so nice. yeah and 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 then around that time john like there wasn't this um or rather either there wasn't, or I couldn't find what we have today with these sort of professionalized, you know, strength and conditioning coaches for baseball. And, and now it's even positional, you know, this is by even by, even by sport. Um, this is very apparent. And I mean, I think this sort of this 
frame comes from track and field events where I know track and field, it goes back 20, 30 years about, you know, you have certain sprint type coaches and certain throwing coaches and certain, you know, long distance and like distance running coaches. So, um, but that didn't exist back then. The only thing really existed back then was um, from, from what I could find was, you know, these, hybrid, you know, science interested people that also were bodybuilders. So, you know, this, this goes back to, you know, um, let's, it influenced me as Charles Poliquin, who was a Canadian strength coach, um, <clears throat> you know, primarily with the bobsled team, but uh, his, his work was, you know, one of the reasons why I'm in this field now. It's, it's just seminal. It leveraged science. So he was talking about, for example, back in 1994, 1996 like post-activation facilitation yeah. sort of you know doing your strength exercise first followed by you know your sort of plyometric or, or ballistic exercise first and that's sort of you know compound set now and it's sort of commonplace in in certain strength conditioning um arenas but but back then it didn't exist Definitely. that's the interesting thing there's those guys even then like you say who were just starting to push the envelope a bit even though it was yeah. very much just the, the, the bodybuilding heavy sort of things and then it's just like i think me and you both share that same same belief of like trying to seek out knowledge and find better ways to do things as well and it's just like that led me especially and say from the bodybuilding realm um into more of the the sports performance and conditioning side of things as well and obviously information has slowly grown over the years but yeah it's been been an interesting process dude but I was going to say, dude, you, you mentioned there, you know, you, you get to college, you mm -hmm. get out and you do your six week um, student uh, internship and you, you get to go to Eucerium. Yeah. That time at Eucerium, is that what swayed you that, you know, you mentioned there briefly about your, uh, your mentor there, your educator saying mm -hmm. you should consider the military. Is that what made you want to go down the military route or was it something you always had solved in the back of your mind? So, so I, I have family in the military and, and okay. you know, I grew up in a very military agnostic home though, not pushing it one way or the other. Um, but, you know, to specifically answer your question. So I probably knew within a week, maybe two weeks that like, oh, like, wow, like we can determine what happens. Like when you go to altitude, like th those, those physiological phenomena that are, that are known. So um, that are deleterious to human performance. Like we can predict that. And oh my God, like we have facilities downstairs that are doing that. Like, oh my, like this to me was such a, uh, th that, that, like, as you say, that was like the pivot moment for me. Cause, cause in, in the, in the mid nineties or, or the sort of the, the later nineties, you know, an exercise physiology, exercise science degree. Like I, I don't, I don't know how I could have sort of made that into a career but as soon as soon as i got into usarium and my with my mentor brad nindle he's a um university professor at pittsburgh he runs their one of the, the largest sort of military research laboratories in the world he he really inspired me to you know he's like i i think you know you'd be a you know good researcher you have the sort of the the mindset of of wanting to understand why things occur so and, and you know over 20 years i've kind of found is that it's not so much your degree your sort of your confirmations your credentials this sort of scientific mindset is <clears throat> being able to systematically dissolve a complex issue into its constituent components 
okay, what do we, what, what's the existing knowledge base? What's the current problem and what's the burden that problem? The burden could be injuries for the military. It could be healthcare costs. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, time lost from trading. Um, so you sort of contextualize that problem and your presumably your hypothesis would lead to new, new idea generation that would sort of confirm equivoc- equivocation in that field or in that topic, or it could completely refute it. Maybe, maybe you think that, for example, um, that exercise during basic training is not related to injury, but it's more so, you know, related to, you know, food choice or cumulative physical activity. It's something that would, you know, kind of would, would shake the foundation of what's, you know, what's sort of commonplace. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just having that mindset is, is tremendously important and it sort of bleeds over into other aspects of, of one's life. And I'm sure you experience this too. It's like the sort of, like when you're talking to a scientist, you know, like I deal a lot with engineers, like, you know, you're talking to engineers, Yeah. completely different mindset. Um, or if you're talking to attorneys, you know, you're talking to, well, I, I shouldn't say, you know, you talk to attorneys, but to me, like when, let me go back to the scientists. When, when I'm talking to a scientist, it's, it's kind of like there's a commonality of the language. There's a flow. There's a way of looking at issues and looking at problems to sort of, um, like, again, to solve into his constituents of po- components to be able to, you know, logically assume what would occur with your intervention and to maybe have some predictability in the outcome based off of what's known what you're presuming to do and you know plus your sort of your your singular research intervention mm-hmm. but yeah but going back to the the original original question that that to that to me the time of usarium completely pivoted me to my my career and then looking back on it it's the, it's the best decision i ever made in my life mm-hmm. i mean it, it's from what i've seen and read about usarium it's just an incredible incredible facility mm-hmm. and the work that's been done there as well i mean to have the opportunity to be a part of that it must have been something something special dude as well um obviously how, how long did you serve um you know as a full um fully commissioned guy into the military yeah so i was active for about eight years mm-hmm. then i left for a, a few months i actually think a few weeks and then yeah. i've been in for about 12 now nice one nice dude and then obviously Finishing up after eight years, taking a step away, you know, what, what prompted the move away? And, you know, obviously you're saying you're at KBR now. Why, why did you decide to go in and start working with KBR as well? So what, what I mean, the, the first part of that question, what prompted me to go away um, was graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a tremendous opportunity to go to the University of South Carolina. They were conducting a, a multi-year <clears throat> project looking at um, physical activity, objectively measured physical activity during basic training, which is something that hasn't been done before. I mean, there's been sort of smatterings of research using pedometry, research using direct observation, but nothing going in with accelerometry or gyroscopy or GPS or anything like that. Um, so we were talking to my mentor at the time. He's like, you should do this. It's a good opportunity. You know, you've kind of, you're starting to grow out of your, you know, you're, you're, you're growing, you need to grow into a, in a new, into a new discomfort zone, I think was his words. Um, because I was there, I, I probably could have stayed there probably another year or two and just been content and <clears throat> maybe, you know, come back to the contractor if I wanted to get out and, and stay aboard this sort of usarium team. But 
I thought it prudent to, you know, go back to graduate school, get an advanced degree, you know, expose myself to different sort of culture, different learning environment. Um, but which academia is, is a significant shift in culture, shift in learning environment coming off of active duty, especially from a sort of high powered, you know, research laboratory that their main function is to, is to produce evidence-based results that, you know, help, you know, keep uh, soldiers ready, help, help keep them lethal, help keep them healthy. <laughs> um, so, but no, I just wanted to challenge myself. I, I knew also, you know, I would have to have that degree to confirm sort of credentials in, in the field, so that's fine. <clears throat> I mean, but the, the main driver for, for my going there, because I had applied to a few schools, but my main driver is I, would, I knew I was going into a DOD funded project that would produce, you know, would produce some interesting information that otherwise hasn't been done um, in the form of measuring physical activity during basic training. <clears throat> so that was, um, that was my decision to leave. And that was, that was an amazing project um, that, that we did. And, and I'm sure you, you know, as, as science goes, is that we, we still have results in the, you know, in the hopper and yeah. we are, we were actually um, publishing one of the sort of the larger data sets on that. So we're, we're really looking forward to that and uh, are interested to uh, see if we get our favorable reviews back by the end of the summer. Nice, dude, nice. And then obviously with KBR, was that, uh, you know, how did that work? And did you seek out KBR? Did they seek you out? Yeah, so so how, how that, seeking out KBR or having them seek me out, right? So it, it was the former of the two, I, I sought them out. So about two years ago, I kind of did a, did a, a sort of a, a check on myself, you know, where do I want to be in the next 10, 15 years? What's a sustainable career trajectory? Where's the field going? Um, you know, th things related to that. And I said, well, I like the sort of the science side, I like the tactical side of it, of, of it being human performance. And I said, well, that will, you know, I would probably have to be like a program administrator and I, and I don't want to do that. Um, just, just wasn't, just isn't for me. I've, I've, I've dabbled in that arena a little bit before. It just wasn't for me. Um, but I was interested to kind of understand like, how do these companies get these contracts? I mean, this, this to me seems like, you know, uh, a completely new process. I was exposed to it for a little bit, um, helping with proposal support for, for a company I used to work for. And I never kind of quite understood it, but I was always interested in it. And I said, well, I'd like to, you know, use my expertise you know, like research and science and sort of understanding, you know, soldiers centric or service members centric sort of, you know, issues. Well, I'd like to use my expertise to, you know, help a company, you know, grow. But what does that actually look like? I mean, that's like, a, that's like a great concept, but like, what's your strategy for enacting that? So then, you know, I, I looked at the sort of the competitive space, you know, which KBR is, you know, competitor in the space of a health human performance. And I just said, you know, What's their what's their vision? What are they currently doing? Um, what are their company values? What's their corporate social responsibility sort of role? Um, and after sort of you know doing some due diligence on all these companies, I said I, I think KBR would be a good fit. So it wasn't like the traditional. Let me apply for this position. I saw it's opening up, or I heard that you know a colleague of mine works at a company X and. You know they're going to open up a position, so I'll kind of use that sort of inroads to sort of 
um, be a favorable candidate. No, I, you know, just distilled it down to KBR and I said, okay, well, this seems like the, the company for me. And, and then now what, right? And it, this is, this is something how, how, you know, how I'll, I'll never understand how the sort of the stars align is maybe, maybe a week or so after I did this exercise where I'm looking at different companies, I see this position pop up. It's called Solutions Architect in Health and Human Performance. I go, oh, okay. So I knew a few Solutions Architect, but it was more so on the engineering side. So, or engineering and cloud side. So when you hear that, so rather when people hear that, that I'm a Solutions Architect, they think I have a degree in engineering. They think I do something with cloud-based services, um, to which, you know, some of our company does do that, but I, I don't do that as a solutions architect. And then, you know, you get these, these job postings, John, right? And it's, you read down them, you go, oh my goodness, like, you know, this, this company wants, you know, that, that unicorn. So like, what are they actually looking for? So um, I said, well, this seems too interesting to not apply, but it was, it's a, it was very intimidating for me to apply. Um, I, I know that's sort of sort of a paradox there, but you know, you only get one one shot to make a good impression if you kind of, you know, just apply and with no follow-up, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, it puts that candidate in a um, disadvantageous position versus being, you know, aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so uh, before I applied, I, I, you know, just, you know, with the strategy I had in mind, I was like, well, if I narrowed it down, if I did this much work in narrowing it down, let me kind of figure out who the players are in the company and reach out to them directly and say, this is a, this looks like a great position. I would love to add value. Here's, you know, here's how I think we can add some value to your sort of um, challenges, you know, as sort of articulated in the, in the position description. And I uh, would love to chat. And I, I tell you what, it's, it's interesting when, when you reach out to people that are, you know, vested in, vested in other people to, to, to really, you know, um, be positive in the industry. I got back, and this is just through LinkedIn. And I got back, you know, two different people got, got back to me within a day. And like, it was off from there, you know, and it was several rounds of interviews and, you know, not, not, not going to lie, a lot of, a lot of anxiety and a lot of prep for, for interviews, but yeah, like they, they wound up, you know, awarding me the position. So I'm just completely thankful, you know, to have this opportunity, you know, and kind of, and don't take it lightly. I, I take it in the sense of, you know, myself as a service member, like knows the importance of maintaining health for readiness, um, knows the importance of some of these <clears throat> enterprise-wide programs that the services, the, the Department of Defense, the military services are now putting out. And it's ability to lower injury rates, get people healthier, lower incidence of obesity, um, decrease, uh, let's say high risk factors like, um, like smoking or, you know, alcohol consumption. So this to me is, you know, and I, I remember, I think this was like my last sort of like parting shot. You know, I wrote this down to underline it. I, I told my, my now boss, I said, look, this is, this is something for me. That's not only, you know, a tremendous professional opportunity that it is, but this is like a personal, um, uh, drive with me to better the industry based off of not what I know on the science side, because you can, you can Google things, you can look it up on PubMed, you can 
you get access to every journal, right? But if you kind of, if you don't have that context of what it what it means to, you know, um, to not have services, what it means to, what what it would mean to a service member to have a strength conditioning coach on site, what it would mean to have a strength or an athletic trainer on site. You know, these are things that I, I thought, you know, you know, 15 years ago, <clears throat> and rather, actually a lot of people thought this a, a, long, a long time ago, but, you know, having that sort of professional drive to, you know, be with KBR is, is, is great, but having this sort of the personal context, understand why these programs are important, why growing the business is important, I think kind of, you know, really um, allows me to, you know, give a little different tinge to the, you know, our sort of solutions we're offering our customers. Definitely, definitely, Dayton. I mean, you say there about, you know, having that little bit of anxiety and intimidation of even applying to oh, yeah. KBR in that role. And I mean, looking from the outside in as a guy based in the UK, like I'd seen some roles, you know, popped up for just like either physical therapy or strength conditioning within yeah. the structure. And I just saw it very much just, I just saw the tip of the iceberg of it. I didn't realize just how big a company they are and everything they are doing as well. And like yeah. just how widespread they are as well, not only within the tactical space, but obviously uh, going out into space uh, yeah. as well. It's, it's just huge, absolutely huge company now, dude. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you said that. Um, I mean, I, I've been with them for a while, and, and probably on a on a weekly basis, I go, "Oh, we're we're doing that." Um, like we're in the <clears throat> like renewable energy space, right? You know, we we've entered that for for a while now. I didn't know that. Um, and I go, "Oh, that's that's kind of that's kind of interesting." And it's also, you know, it, it makes. You know, kind of like, like again, that gets back to the sort of corporate social responsibilities, you know, being good sort of arbiters in the industry of, you know, what what right looks like, as we say in the military. Um, so you, you, you see these things come out on social media, you go, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be sort of aligned with this organization that's, you know, doing good in the world and trying to <clears throat> make a better difference, make a difference for the better for, you know, for, for people. I just want to touch on as well, because obviously you mentioned the post of like solutions architect within health yeah. and performance. So mm -hmm. what exactly, you know, are you trying to do with that role now, Joe, you know, making it your own and pushing things forward? What, what are you driving at? Yeah. So, so it, it, we'll just frame it, right. What is a solutions architect, right? So, so this is my definition. It, it's the person that's, it's the person or people's in charge of, technical visions for a particular solution for a particular issue. Mm -hmm. um, this could be uh, tactical. This could be from a management perspective. These are usually just kind of nuanced um, ideas that have to be coalesced into a, into a proposal that you would, you know, submit into a, to a customer. Um, and what that entails is, you know, is, is constant reading, you know, both on, on wearables, on on research, on who's doing what in academia. So like what research laboratories are doing what, you know, what kind of portfolios they have, um, understanding who's presenting where, mm -hmm. what are the sort of the emerging trends, what are, you know, what we call mega trends, you know, i.e. what where's the health human performance gonna be in 20 years, right? Is it gonna look like it looks like now? Probably not as indicated, but like what we were talking about before, back in you know the, the mid '90s, there there really was just bodybuilding. Sort of, you had to sort of um, extract what you could from bodybuilding and kind of well, I can kind of apply it here to the football, you know, or, yeah. or 
rugby or whatever, you know, well, I'm getting stronger and my muscles are getting you know, larger. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, yeah, so, so we have to, you know, be able to sort of, you know, project based of, you know, integrating all this information we're getting in from where the wearables markets are, um, what, what, you know, what, what, you know, something I've, I've, I've seen recently is who's driving trends, you know, this could be, you know, venture capital firms, like where are they investing their money? Um, and there's some pretty good resources, you know, that, that you can figure out, you know, who's doing what and where. Um, but, you know, getting back to, you know, what a solutions architect is, is, you know, you have to integrate all this, you know, disconnected information on the tactical side, on the managerial side. Um, and you have to come to an understanding of what's best for your customer. What is your customer asking for? And be able to integrate that into a proposal and say, well, we can deliver this for you, you know, mm -hmm. and here's what we propose. Um, and and, and so, sometimes that's delivering them exactly what they're asking for. And sometimes that's, you know, delivering them what they're asking for. And here's what we can also provide as a solution to your, you know, your current, you know, your current challenge, let's just say. Cool. It's a nice one. So, I mean, like you say there, like brief snapshot of it, but very, very diverse role as well. And just all the things, all the moving parts you've got to mm -hmm. coordinate and pull together. One thing I want to pull back on there, Joe, you mentioned was just like as part of your role is, you know, looking ahead and saying like, right, what are the major emerging themes yeah. we're seeing here, the mega themes, you know, over the next 20 years that we should start prepping for now. And yeah. stuff. So on that, like, can you just say like, you know, what, what have you seen so far would be as the, the emerging themes in the tactical space currently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, and, and this, this is, you know, this isn't sort of proprietary information. It, it's out there, but you kind of have to drill down and say, oh, they're doing it and they're also doing it. And this company is, or this organization is thinking about doing it. And I, I can provide specifics too, right, for this. So one of the, the, one of the sort of mega themes and trends we're seeing is embedded resources. So that means taking those allied health providers, those dietitians, those physical therapists, occupational therapists, strength conditioning coaches, taking them out of that treatment facility, out of the hospital, out of the clinic, and putting them in <clears throat> at an appropriate level that an organization, you know, could coalesce a team, you know, like a human performance integrated team and have service members, especially this is more so on the DOD side, but there are some civilian um, recent advances that they're utilizing this sort of frame, but they're able to have this integrated human performance team at a level that's scalable that they can have their, again, on the DOD side, their service members, their men and women in uniform come to them and say, you know, um, I'm having an ankle issue. I don't know what to eat. I, my sleep is terrible. What do you advise? <clears throat> and so you have that, that personal one-on-one -on -one interaction with that professional, with the strength conditioning coach, athletic trainer, occupational therapist. And so that, that will, you know, allow them to stay in training for longer it also sort of obviates the cost on the, on the healthcare side, on the, I say healthcare kind of in cost, healthcare cost in quotes, um, but it allows that, that service member to re retain in training as best as they can. Obviously, if there's an injury, there's not much you can do. You kind of have to take them out of training for a little bit, but 
you're removing the sort of the healthcare component, bringing it down to the individualized level that's scalable. You're socializing the those programs to your sort of your audience. It could be service members. It could be you know fire EMS. It could be you know any sort of operating in a tactical space. <clears throat> but you're letting them know like these professionals are here for you. You should you you can utilize them. That could be prescriptive, you know, mm -hmm. utilization. You know, they i.e. like like they're they're mandated to go at least you know once a quarter or once a month, or it could be you know voluntary. And so some of the trends we're seeing now is it's mostly voluntary. There's no sort of governance, you know, driving. You you, should, you have to see the strength conditioning coach at least you know one time a month, or see the athletic athletic trainer at least one time a a month. Um, <clears throat> And those programs seem to, seem to be effective. Yeah, um, it's bleeding. It's bleeding over a little bit recently. We've seen um, embedded resources come out in a, in a sort of large international company, um, and I, I say large. Uh, it's possibly one of the largest in, in the world. Um, have embedded resources for their for their workforce in their warehouses. Um, this, and there's no sort of data back on the efficacy of that program, but there's no reason to suggest otherwise that it wouldn't. I mean, the Army's had good success with that, and so has the Marine Corps um, for these embedded resources programs. Um, another sort of mega trend we see is, <clears throat> is sensor utilization, so wearables, mm -hmm. technology. So this could be your watch, your ring, something in your shoe. And it's not so much the individual, um, the individual device. So the wearers, you know, is getting feedback for behavioral modification or cueing from their Apple Watch, let's just say, or their Aura Ring, right? So, but one of the <clears throat> one of the trends we're seeing is the sort of as, as a human as a weapon system sort of concept goes is it's the integration of all that sort of data. So it's not just one piece saying, this is how long you slept. It's saying, here's how long you slept. You know, it also cr can cross communicate with a similar type device to say, well, this is giving me one reading and this is giving me another. So there's some discordance there, but it's the integration of the different wearables to produce, let's just say a readiness platform that, you know, that, the, that it could be sort of orchestrated that it's at the user level. So me, Joe, and you, John, we would have our, our tablet or our, or our phone and we go, oh, look at how we're doing today, you know, and have it as a gauge. Like readiness is at, you know, is anywhere from red to green. Readiness is in the yellow. Maybe that's contingent upon, <clears throat> we, didn't, we didn't eat anything the day before. Maybe it was a Sunday and, you know, we were sleeping just kind of intermittently or, or not at all. Um, or, you know, and let you know, some of these sold, some of these service members are, they're young. So like, you know, encouraging healthy behaviors is, is often difficult. So yeah. it would be good to, you know, understand like where they are just from a gauge perspective, kind of like when you, you know, you get in your car, you turn it on. If something's not working, it's usually flagged, you know, for, for more recent cars. So for, mm -hmm. so something like that, that's integrating, just like your car does integrating all this, all the sort of services and, and widgets it provides you know, having a sort of heads up display, like, how are you doing today? So that, that's one of the, that's one of the trends we see. And that, that's, that's no, not only on the DOD side, that's, you know, because a lot of things I say are sort of DOD sort of centric, 
but they're not DOD specific. Um, that, that's some, some of the trends we're seeing there. <clears throat> it's also, it seems like it's, that's going the way too of the, um, on the civilian side too. And uh, a third trend that is coming to bear, um, and you know, I, I hope you and I would agree on this is the program evaluation component of it, which seems you know another layer of prescriptive academia, and seemingly, you know, why would you need this type program? So you know, I think that's an easily defensible statement. And so, well. You kind of need to understand where your baseline is, right? You need to understand where your 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 workforce is, your personnel are, and if you're going to introduce an intervention, <clears throat> this could be, you know, what we talked about before the in the in the integration of these of a human performance team of these professionals. What is that doing to sort of some of your key performance indicators, your KPIs? Are injuries going down? Are they even anecdotally telling you that they're sleeping better, that they feel better, um, that maybe their relationship with their, their friends or spouses are better? Um, and then you would have a, some sort of follow-up, right? And the difference between those two, you know, presumably, and in part, is, is due to your intervention. But the, the bugaboo there is you don't know the magnitude and what your, your true return on investment is if you're not measuring what you intend to measure yeah. and what you, what you intend to intervene on. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic all the wearables that we have and it's fantastic all of the sort of the professionals we have, you know, on the, you know, these allied care professionals. And to see, you know, and, and this has been done before to see that, you know, just, just the, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. I'm not gonna name the, the organization, but just to see the integration of a very small amount of athletic trainers caused one service to um, have, I think in a year they had, it was somewhat like 800, uh, 800 less um, days lost in training something to the tune of like 11 million dollars of treatment otherwise you know they would have incurred and the athletic trainers i think their their cost was like two million so it's like a net of nine million for a return on investment mm -hmm. and that's just a simple example of just ease you know measuring injuries beforehand introducing the athletic trainers measuring them after the fact and kind of tying a dollar value to how much an injury would cost and obviously injuries cost different for different severities of injuries but you know, the sort of the moral of that story is if you measure something before and after an intervention, you can really demonstrate the return on investment. And that, that's something that customers like to see, like, well, when you do this, you save X amount of dollars. Or when you do this, you save X amount of training days or days, you know, lost or, or, or even presenteeism, like they're there, but they, they don't perform. Um, so, so those are some of the, you know, the mega trends that we're seeing. I'm, I'm sure there's more, um, but uh, th those are kind of three that I'll, I'll kind of, I'll stick to because that's more tactical focused, a little sort of on the commercial side or a little on the, on the civilian side, but I, I think it's probably the most appropriate for our conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's some great areas to see there and see them expanding out. I was having the conversation over there with a guy just about, 
wearable technology and yeah. how it's still quite a bit of a, a black hole for a lot of the guys in the military structure. <laughs> like comparing with the sporting realm, you know, we've got GPS for rugby, yeah. for football, for soccer and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and it's just like, right, we know game speeds, we know like uh, work to rest ratios, and, you know, like yeah. for long periods. Whereas with a lot of the guys, he was saying like, you know, when he's gone on base, he's great. He gets to see a complete oversight. But as soon as they leave and go out in the field, it's mm -hmm. just a black spot. He has no idea what's going on a lot of times. So it's just like, right, getting the guys back, you know, again, some sort of wearable sensor that is protected, you know, so the GPS stuff isn't all out there and stuff. But yeah, um, and actually having an idea of, you know, what, what exactly is the strain going for these guys on a day to day or month to month basis, which is huge. Yeah, and, and John, to I mean to your point, a, a lot of the a lot of a good amount, I should say, to be fair, a good amount of the more progressive research, and again, this is research this isn't operational, some operational, but mostly research. A good amount of the research in that space in the DOD side has been driven by those sort of UK Australian sort of more um, more um, integrated approaches to measuring, like you said, the, the sort of acute and chronic work ratios, um, speed, mm -hmm. velocity, you know, change in direction, you know, they, were, they had their wearable on. And so, you know, and that's for, I mean, that's not a huge scale, right, for a rugby team or for, for, for a football team. But that, you know, I, that, that's being used as a model of, well, we, we can, they can measure this, you know, very precisely how much load a person's, a, a, you know, um, how much cumulative load a person is on their feet, right? In a very precise manner, very tactical manner. Um, well, maybe we should do that with our service members because they kind of, they don't have the exact same burdens, you know, from a physical performance perspective or physical activity perspective, but <clears throat> the technology, this proof and concept for what, you know, some of the folks in the UK have done some of the folks in Australia have done. So um, I think that's an interesting conversation because getting back to, you know, this sort of feeder, this sort of the way ideas are sort of fed into um, into the, the military side of physical performance is a lot of it is from sport. Yeah. Um, I would say probably a, a good amount is from, from sport. And then sport also takes, you know, from the military too. Definitely. So there's that, that interesting crosstalk between the two disciplines. <laughs> and now obviously for you, dude, since you've been in post and obviously you're looking ahead for trends now, looking for those opportunities and areas of growth, mm. but also what are the challenges would you say, Joe, are the, the big ones that are going to be, you know, presented in the tactical space? Yeah, so I would I would say certainly on the US side, <clears throat> certainly on the US side socializing the industry mm -hmm. has always been a challenge. I mean, the NSCA, National Strength Conditioning Association has their, their tactical, you know, sort of route that people can um, get certified through, that there's a dedicated meeting for that, you know, but, but other than, <clears throat> other than that, and the ACSM has, has a, you know, tactical military uh, performance special interest group, but other than that, it's kind of, it's kind of slim as far as, um, enterprise-wide interest in the uh, in the field. <clears throat> there are some programs, you know, we, we talked about, you know, Dr. Bornstein beforehand, you know, he has a great program in the Citadel um, that, that looks like tactical physical performance and generates professionals in the field. You know, what I'm driving at is that, you know, 
I think one of the challenges is the better uh, is socializing this, you know, to everyone. This this podcast is is a, fan, a fantastic way to do you know to do that, um, you know. But sort of getting at the ground floor of where these disciplines start, in my view, is is in the university. <clears throat> so you know, again, go back to you know Dr. Bornstein, you know, those type programs. I see those programs increasing. Mm-hmm. I so I, I see them as a as a challenge now, but I don't see them as a challenge in ten to twenty years when, you know, the army is you know going to have their enterprise program. The Marine Corps is more than likely going to have their enterprise programs, and there's going to be a drive you know to stay with professional teams, you know, college teams. The military is going to have a huge sort of investment in having these professionals. <clears throat> within their ranks, you know, besides their service members. So um, I think until that that force function for these professional organizations like the NSCA come in and say, well, we're going to need more professionals. Um, I think that's coming sooner than later. Um, but right now, I, I, I do feel that's a challenge and there's going to be some catch up being played in the next maybe like three to five years or so and be able to, you know, adequately, you know, uh, have a good sort of um, competitive space for a strength conditioning coach, let's just say, you know, versus like, should I do a, should I do professional sports? Do I want to do collegiate? What's this military thing about? You know, it sounds intimidating. You know, I I was never in the military. I heard that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. It's like, it's, it's okay. It's just a different culture. We don't bite. Maybe, 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 maybe atypical, but, you know, until that socialization, you know, through, through degree granting programs is sort of, you know, really, really um, geared up. And we have a few more programs like, you know, like Dr. Bornstein has, you know, I think uh, the field will be, um, you know, it'll be a lot better until that time. Uh, Another, you know, it it gets back to the, you know, another challenge is that, so you have, you have sports teams, right? You have sports teams, you have uh, professional teams, you have semi-professional teams, you have high school athletics, um, and you have, you know, the DOD services. And so whether or not, you know, and I don't know the answer to this question, but whether or not, you know, organizations are going to continue to credential, certify, and graduate these professionals at the rate that all these, you know, different entities need them. I mean, that, that, that's a question that's going to sort of be bared out in the next three to five years. I, I wish I had the answer to that question. I really don't. <clears throat> um, and I, I say that this is, you know, kind of in a very, you know, it, it's tough for me to say because, you know, my job is to be aware of the emerging trends. But if you go to if you go to a trade show for for wearables or for biometrics, there are more than you could even imagine. Yeah. So understanding, does something work in outer space? Does something work underwater? Is it ruggedized? Do you have a forward-facing display? Do you not have a forward-facing display? How are things actually measured? Um, what the, the rather like the, the black box, right? Like, what, yeah. what, how is it actually measuring what you intend to measure? Um, are you are you getting? raw data from it or are you getting you know like a black box data that the company has this proprietary algorithm that shows you 
some metric that you've never seen in an exercise physiology textbook. Well, I know what heart rate variability is. I know what heart rate is. I know what, um, you know, blood pressure is, but I don't know what some, you know, this derived score is, you know, from mm -hmm. wearable X or wearable Y, you know, and not to mention there are different sensors for, for different functions. Some measure physiological responses, some measure sort of cognitive responses, some measure just positional responses, like we talked about with, you know, UK and Australia. So just being able to stay abreast of the relevancy for, for companies and, and also what, what companies are emerging, what companies are, you know, are being invested in is, is also important to know like what companies are going to have, you know, long-term backing, what companies will be here in the next five years. It, it's very important to know. Um, so having said that, the understanding and acknowledgement of this is a, you know, um, an industry that just continues to increase in sort of scope and size um, is intimidating, but, you know, anyone, you know, getting into it and kind of, let's just say if there's other solutions, aspiring solutions, architects out there, I don't know if there is, but you know, that, that's, that's something you kind of have to have a sort of a keen understanding of. Is, is you're not going to know everything. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I spend a, a good amount of my time just reading things. If I'm going to the gym, you know, I shouldn't say if I'm going to them while I'm at the gym, like, oh, look, I'm reading about this new wearable. I'm reading about this new tag you can put on your skin to measure sweat and like, and, or, or temperature or a pill to measure core body temperature. So um, it's a challenge, but it's, it's also fun. Um, and you kind of get to understand like, well, there's 30 different companies kind of all vying for the same market share here. No worries, Joe. And I mean, um, obviously, like you say, there's, there's challenges, but there's growth factors within those as well. Yeah. And just preparing for those, uh, those areas as well of growth and just, you know, those <clears throat> opportunities within it. So for guys going, coming into the field now, yeah getting ready or getting prepared to come into the field so they are ready mm -hmm. for to, to sit on this wave of this change as well what do you think the you know the the best advice is for these guys looking to pursue a career in this field yeah so i mean that's always hard to say right because it's always at the behest of the customer or that that client but i think some conservative um advice would be you have to you know you have to have a drive to to want to excel in the field. You have to be interested, like you and I talked about before. No one was setting us up to to read muscular development. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was really cool. I don't know. Um, so there has to be that that drive there and that motivation to kind of want to, to have the intellectual curiosity to want to learn more. Um, I, I don't, I, and I don't distinguish that because I have a research and development background. Some of the strength conditioning colleagues I have, some of the athletic trainers colleagues I have are just as fervent as reading that literature base and really digging deep and really understanding the history and the culture. And I, you talk to them and it's like, I am nowhere near as competent as I thought. But, you know, you talk to, you know, I, I can sort of, you know, keep up with a a person that's interested in performance physiology, like we can, we could talk that language. Um, so, so that, that's, that's certainly important. Understanding that, that there's a certain level of required skills, training and certifications that I would say jobs often look for, customers often look for, 
and that's that being that bachelor's or, or master's degree and for you know for a variety of different things this could be exercise science exercise physiology strength conditioning um, athletic training uh, nutrition occupational therapy and, and physical therapy so so there though there there are those sort of degree requirements to just to confer that you have this sort of requisite knowledge base on, in your discipline. And then there's also those associated certifications. So for, for an athletic trainer, like the, like the LAT, like licensed athletic trainer or NAD, like National Athletic Trainers Association or CSCS for, for mm -hmm. someone with the, with the strength conditioning background. So, so those certifications and those um, degree requirements uh, are, I don't want to say requisite and be so prescriptive, but it seems to me what I've seen from customers, from clients, and you know, combing position descriptions for other companies, <clears throat> just to just develop, you know, to understand the competitive landscape. That's what those companies are looking for. And that that's not to say that's not going to change for degree requirements, but um, that's what that's what I see currently now. Um, and it's it's interesting. We 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 talk about this so some we work with some uh college interns and um they talk about well i'm getting my degree i'm getting my certification it's like well it kind of starts there so you need that right but you know one, one of the one of the terms that i've sort of used recently is, is you have to be able to dis discriminate yourself above your competition and so what does that mean so like how do i action that and so this is what I tell people. It's easy. It's like, don't worry. It's, it's easy. So join an organization. I'm so like, this is like, if you're kind of like, you know, kind of writing down, like what I say to do, what, what, what could work, not what will work, but what could work. Um, and these are, tr these are, let's say trends that I have spoken with other colleagues about. And I go, Oh, you do that too. I was like, I've done that. Like this yeah. works. Right. I think it's sort of the same way that you and I, you and I um, got, got talking, right? Um, the first is joining an organization, uh, especially in school. Most of them offer student memberships, and it's a great way to kind of get in on the ground floor. So NSCA, ACSM, NADA, um, they all have their professional organizations or flagship organizations. It'll take you three minutes to look it up on Google and just type in student. <clears throat> and something will come up and then once you're once you're a part of that sort of organization you, you're able to sort of interact with other people and I know, I know with COVID it's a little bit different but I know you know traditionally it's like you know well we have functions coming up and some of these <clears throat> and some of these um, institutions have regional you know directorates so they can oh you can meet locally in Virginia or you can meet locally in Delaware Mm -hmm. it's like, I didn't know that. And this, you know, and obviously it's a little bit smaller, you get a less diverse experience, but it's still you're meeting other people, interested people in your field. And if they're there and they're interested, like that's the, the crew you want to affiliate yourself with. So joining an organization, professional organization is tremendously important. Um, I didn't realize the importance of it until I spoke to one of my colleagues recently, maybe like two weeks ago. He goes, oh yeah, it's like we met at NSCA like, in like 2003 or 2004. Wow. Okay. Oh my God. I was like, we did. I was like, I don't remember that. I, I, I should have remembered it, but like, like admittedly, like, I don't remember that. Um, but, but that was because I joined the organization. 
that was because I saw there was, you know, student, you know, student things going on. And uh, yeah, no, and, and, and organizations like that are, are very sort of favorable to students, you know, it helps them grow their membership. It helps them, you know, um, carry out their edith of, you know, professional growth for, for, for burgeoning, you know, professionals in this field. So it's, it's important to them. Um, and I think they try to impart that on their, on their members. <clears throat> um, another thing I would tell people, and this is a little more abstract, is to grow your toolbox. Just, you know, just having that degree in, in strength conditioning, let's just say, that's great. Mm -hmm. But if you know how to, you know, take your, your program and you can make a cool little Excel spreadsheet and you can track your, your athletes load over time, you can track their weight over time, <clears throat> you can track their performance over time, and you can demonstrate that to an employer, well, I have a degree in strength conditioning, but I also developed this application. It could just, it, it could just be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet. Um, over time, like those are favorable things to an employer, like additional skills, like and the ability to take information that's just, you know, a bunch of iron with numbers written on them and to, to contextualize that and say, okay, well, here's what you're doing over time. So you actually develop a product off of something that, you know, I, I think any, you know, really good strength conditioning coach is, is going to be doing anyways, monitoring their athletes. Um, and so there's different, you know, there's, you can go out and just find a myriad of um, certifications that, you know, in Excel or in Adobe um, on, on how to do stuff like that. But, you know, I, I would say the third and the more, most important aspect of, of this field, John, is that interested people are interested in talking about their work. Yeah. I mean, have, have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Absolutely, dude. Um, yeah. If you, you can seek them out quite easily, I find, and like most people are very open and happy to chat about their work. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you, like, it's like, it's a humbling experience to really, so it's like, oh, I read an article you wrote. Can we talk about it? It's like, you did? Like, you're the one? And it's almost like funny, right? But like, you know, a lot of times research, like it, it reaches a limited audience and you're like, well, I wish more people would re read the research. But when, but when you have people reach out to you, like, that's fantastic. But what I tell people is, I mean, so let's just say you're interested in strength conditioning, right? And then you, you learn about, you know, uh, a coach at Baylor or something like that, one of their sprint coaches at Oregon or something like that. Just go to LinkedIn to say, hey, th this is who I am. Um, I heard about you like through this means it could be at another NSCA conference or a USAW conference or something like that. Or, you know, you read something that maybe they put in like the NSCA's like strength and conditioning journal. So, hey, like, I'm really interested in this. I get, I, I'd love to learn more. Like, can, can we have a chat? And probably I would say maybe eight times out of 10, and, and I've done this with people that are, I, I actually, I've done this with undergraduates that, that have some work. I, I recently did this with an undergraduate in the UK that had some work come out for the Ministry of Defense. I reached out to him and was like, like, what is this all about? Like, can you tell me more? Like, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, just because I was interested. Like, I, I couldn't really figure out, like, just from the paper, like, like what they were driving at. And then I've reached out to, you know, like, uh, I reached out to, like, a vice provost of a, of a of a university 
he was on a he was uh, the senior author on a paper and I'm like this is and he he was the corresponding author I was like this is really interesting like you have like 10 minutes just to talk about your research like I really think this is interesting and nothing more like I didn't want anything out of it mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I just wanted to kind of hear what his thoughts are just like, like you and I are doing is talking shop and vice provost got back to me maybe two hours and this is just LinkedIn right well I guess I guess the, the one of the things I failed to mention is, you know, ha have an updated LinkedIn profile. Players mm -hmm. look at it, you know, people look at it. It's important. Um, it's also good to sort of document your sort of your your successes too. There, yeah. Um, yeah. So th those are the three, I guess, four things I would I would tell people to do. They're sort of very tactical, very practical, and frankly, you could probably do all of those in, the, in you know, on a weekend, and uh, you know, kind of go forth from there. Definitely, man. Definitely, and like it, it echoes a lot of stuff I've always said to students I've chatted to or interns and stuff. I say like, you know, your education is important, but it's it's very much just your ticket to the dance. It's yeah. yep. knowing people and having personal yep. connections that'll get you out on the floor as well and get you into where you want to be. But like you say, it's just like reaching out and having conversations with people on things you find interesting. I mean, that's how we hooked up. Contacted yeah. me and said, hey. Can you tell me a little bit more about the podcast? Yeah. Here we are now, you know, just having this great conversation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and this is like, these, these are like force multipliers, right? Because because I heard about you because of some of my colleagues, some of which I went to graduate school with, some of which I knew from the field. But I, I just, I, I saw it on LinkedIn because like a friend of, you know, someone that I knew like liked your, probably like your fourth or fifth podcast or something mm -hmm. like what is this? There's yeah. a human performance podcast. Like, like call me. Like, wow. Like, wow. Like, uh, like oh my god. Like, and so there's the there's the traditional ones, right? That are, mm -hmm. you know, kind of very, very, very on the nose. Like, if you want to be a strength conditioning coach, like you listen to that podcast. Like, that's great. But like things like this, where it's more conversational, where it's more, you know, where's the industry going? Like, how did you get there? Like more sort of story oriented. Let's just say I, I think these are really good because they they could provide you know, get it back to what you said about breaking into the field. They can, they provide, they, they can provide, you know, resources and sort of the practical ways to which a person like that senior and, you know, or fourth year, right. Um, yeah. You know, an undergraduate could go about, you know, materialistically enhancing their career trajectory for the better. Now it might not work out for them and it takes, it takes grinding and it takes effort. It takes, you know, long-term prospecting. But if, like, again, if you're passionate, like just reach out to people and begin to establish yourself, you know, and go, Oh, how did you, how did you, how did you become successful? What are you doing? What, what's this paper about that I just read? So um, again, interesting people want to talk about their work. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 100% agree with that. 100% agree, Joe. Now, I just want I want to pull it back briefly, mate, because I know we, we chatted a bit about, you know, your, your role at KBR as a mm -hmm. solutions architect and that. And yep. I very much touched on just like my perception of KBR from the outside looking in just from over in the UK and that. Like for anyone, like especially for the guys here in the UK or elsewhere for Europe or Australia and that who may not be familiar with KBR, can you just tell us, you know, what exactly KBR are doing to, you know, enhance tactical population groups? Yeah, yeah. So, so... KBR is a, you know, is a, is a provider, you know, we, we acquire these contracts, we, we, we bid and, and, you know, are, are or are not aware of certain contracts, you know, things that are fall within 
the health and human performance space. Um, some of the ones we have now, you know, support Special Operations Command, um, some support Air Force Research Laboratory, some support NASA, you know, which are tremendously interesting, involved, and, in, uh, you know, from my perspective, like, I, I hear about this, I go, I go, I'm involved in this, like, this is, like, incredible, like, this is, like, I, I couldn't imagine this, right, um, you know, but, but sort of more, more part of the pun, more tactically speaking, um, KBR has, you know, the ability to sort of have embedded professionals within those units, right, within, especially within, you know, um, the special operations sort of paradigm. Um, and, and we are doing, you know, what, what we talked about with one of the sort of the mega trends for embedding those professionals into uh, units at the level to which they can be scaled. And again, mm -hmm. these are the strength conditioning coaches, the dietitians, athletic trainers, data scientists, which is a sort of a sort of new turn, turn um, you know, that the, the, the DOD sees as, as fruitful. Um, and, and, and I shouldn't, I, I should definitely not fail to mention that <clears throat> some of the new re requirements, or it's just a new requirements, but some of the new efforts in recognizing the benefits of cognitive behavioral health issues <clears throat> are being recognized by the services. They're now looking for those type, you know, individuals with this sort of, you know, cognitive psychology background with the sort of sports slant to it. So we're, we're providing those professionals, again, at the unit level um, that service members can come to and, you know, come to them with their challenges, that this could be physical, mental, spiritual, and they see that <clears throat> appropriate allied healthcare provider and they get the services what they need. Again, this comes out of the hospital, goes to goes dead to that, you know, um, to that service member level <clears throat> and allows them sort of the return to duty that much quicker because they have that sort of that, I want to say on-site presence, but they have as much on-site presence as possible um, to get the service that they require. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I mean, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the key things as well you Joe, that you're doing is you know, you're developing these key relationships of organizations as well. Yeah, yeah. How how you manage that? You know, such a diverse uh, backgrounds between you know industry and academia. Yeah. You know, how's how how you manage that, and how's that helping to develop organizations as a whole? Well, I mean, so so we always have to start with what 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 do we want to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. How does this fall within our strategy, and what does the customer want? So if if we're you know hand in glove with what the customer wants what the customer's wishes are and what we feel like we can deliver a superior solution to, we'll then pr pursue that, that customer. And so oftentimes that requires, you know, because just like, just like any, you know, research article, there's not one institution, there's multiple institutions on it. So almost like a consortium of, of you know, it, it is on a lot of papers now. So, so what that means for us is we have to partner. We have to partner with other academic, academics. We have to partner with industry. We have to partner with commercial side. And so there's always been that sort of longstanding um, <clears throat> academia industry partnership. Um, and some of the work we do right now, we, we have those partners um, to provide solutions for our customers. Again, we, we from a company perspective, we can provide all the solutions for that singular customer. 
but we know if we strategically align ourselves with certain, let's just say academic institutions <clears throat> that do X, Y really good, really well, and we don't, we do X good and Y, we, we do it good as well. But, you know, when you sort of combine those two and you synergize, you know, you get a sort of force multiplier in what you can deliver in value to the customer. So again, it's all at the behest of the customer will align with, you know, with, with partners, it's not, not necessarily academia, it's, it's partners that <clears throat> are, um, that also align with the customer's needs that can deliver solutions to the customer and that, you know, wants to work that we have we have this sort of mutuality and in, in wanting to work with one another because our partnerships are all based off of you know strong you know relationships and these these aren't necessarily strong business relationships these are good relationships the good high character relationships as you know so it's what I would say you know we we want to deal with high character individuals to deliver what's best for our customers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and John it, it gets back to you know what we talked about before reaching out to them saying <clears throat> reach out to that partner and say, I, I see you do, you know, um, you do physical activity assessment really well, or you do gait analysis really well. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, we would love to partner with you with this opportunity. And, you know, what do you say? And then, so we have that conversation. And again, uh, always, always productive conversations. People always are very interested in, in speaking about their work. I want to say necessarily to, to us, but like they're always interested in socializing their, their work, which is great. Um, and, and if, and if everyone's receptive and the sort of the stars align, you know, we'll, we partner. I think that's a, the cool thing that, that you mentioned there as well. Like humble enough to know that, like, you know, you don't always have all the solutions to the customer, but you can mm-hmm. make those connections as well. Yeah. I think having that connection between, academia business and industry is just huge and it's just it's a win-win situation i'd say for yeah everyone because you're really driving things forward yeah and, and there there are four small players right because mm-hmm. if we're let's just say academia is our partner and if we're a, a, a more well-known entity within academia then maybe you know maybe a student like a student hears about us and hears about what we do and, and says what do you do like how do i get into that you know, and we, oh, well, well here, here's what you need to do. So there's, you know, there's multiple sort of tentacles to, to this. I mean, obviously if, if it's, the intent is just to have a, a good business partner, there's that, right? And that, that, that's our focus intent. But if there are positive offshoots that again, that are, they're mutual, mutually sort of beneficial, then, then that's, that's even, that's better for, that's the best situation for everyone, frankly. Well, that's cool, dude. That is awesome. And obviously just excited to see, like from a bystander standpoint, to see how that grows and continues to develop as well for you guys. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you, um, Jokes, obviously we've had the chance to chat here a bit and I mean, you've had quite a few conversations off air as well. And just like, it's very clear, like your, your, your interest and knowledge and seeking out and looking at the research and stuff like that. So the one, the one, question I always have for every guest because I'm very interested to know what they're doing for their own development is just you know uh what is a you know a book an app or website recommendation you know you found useful for either your own education or your own development okay so so this these so I have like very 
I'll, I'll have two answers for, for this one. They're, they're completely, they're completely divorced from one another. So on the, on the science side, there's a book. And if, if your listeners haven't heard of this, run out and get it. It's called Super Training by Vereshansky. So I would say maybe the U.S. audience isn't as familiar with his work, but this work precedes Tudor Bonepaw. This, this is like this seminal sports science book for how people trained in, I don't want to say predominantly in, in the USSR, but it seems, you know, in reading that, you know, it's more Eastern European based. And I remember seeing that on Amazon when it sold only books and thinking, I've never heard of this book before. And then I read some of the, the excerpts from it. And, and this is, this is, I was, I think I was a senior. I, I was late, I was either junior or senior in, in college. And again, I was trying to like put together all this human performance stuff from bodybuilding. And I remember reading that with this weird like orange and like orange and purple cover with this like figure on the front. I go, what is, what is this? Um, and I remember reading two pages of, you know, of the preview and, th- and my mind completely, completely being blown away that these programs existed and there's tons of, of references and most of the references are in other languages. But, and, and I, yeah, I've never seen it, you know, uh, translated, but that there are ways to implement scientifically based programs. Like I, to this day, like I remember seeing, like I remember it was very vivid, like very things are very vivid. Like I remember exactly where I was and what I was thinking, like, I cannot believe this exists. And I think the, I mean, the book was like, the book at the time was, you know, an expensive book. But I remember getting it and reading that thing. And I probably read, geez, I probably read that thing maybe 30 times cover to cover. And there's notes in there that, but probably the, the first five times I read it, I didn't know a word of what was going on in it. I mean, I knew like load progressions, but I, I didn't know like the science behind some of the stuff. And like, and the science is inlaid into it. Um, and they discuss some of the science very much on the nose, but it's just, it was a completely transformative way that I looked at human performance, strength and conditioning, um, <clears throat> and just turned my world on its head to say like, wow, like this is really cool. I mean, there, there are some existing, you know, smaller books on strength and conditioning, but, but nothing like this, nothing like this. Um, so, so I, I would encourage it if for just a diversity of sort of thought and, and ways of looking at strength and conditioning. If, if anyone in your, your audience hasn't heard of Super Training by Euro, Yuri Voroshansky to go out and look at it. I mean, it might take some digging to find it, to, to find the actual book. I think, but, uh, I think it is quite hard to find at some points nowadays, but I've, I've got a copy, mate. And like you gotta, say, it's, it's, a, it's a great book, but it's heavy going honestly it's, like you say like it's not it's not a page turner you'll spend a while on a page and like go away consider it come back reread it and then try and move on yeah yeah so that actually that, that actually so actually I have, I have another one to throw in there there's a um and th- this goes into really you know that that turn of oh this research is this research thing is really cool <clears throat> there's there's a gentleman 
gentleman, there's a um, former researcher physician named Ansel Keys. Um, and he's, he's known for a few things, you know, the total cholesterol argument, the seven country study. Um, and, and those are controversial and I, and I recognize that. So I'm not here to sing, sing those, those praises for those sort of research endeavors, but <clears throat> he did a, a series of experiments in and around um, the Korean War. This is actually after the Second World War um, at the University of Minnesota Hygiene Laboratory um, and came out with his, a, a, a two-part series of books that each one I think is probably between seven and 800 pages called The Biology of Human Starvation. And if you want to, if you want to see you know, research that, you know, well, you know, and truth be told, it, it couldn't be performed today, but if you want to see some of the military sort of driven research, what was going on in the 50s, and to see its impact and, you know, its impact, and i.e. how we, how we then subsequently refed our soldiers into the Korean War, how we developed rations based off of these findings, how we changed some hygiene standards based off of these findings, um, knowing the implications for um, tremendous amount of physical activity, not eating, not sleeping. And if you want to, again, not a pace turner, but if you want the, the tomb of all the deleterious effects of human starvation and what it does to, you know, to human body, I would say to, you know, I, I don't think you can, can find this, but um, to get a, you know, a copy from maybe um, like a, like an old like a library that will sort of that has access to older books, um, and just you know thumb through some of the pages and look at some of the the pictures and look at you know some of the rationales to why they did this, um, and it really you know wow like this is this is intense and it's it, it, it's it's a you know it's a it's a hard read, but um it's it's tremendously interesting. It was tremendously influential in my career to say. Like a lot, it's like some, not, not all, but, but some of these, you know, issues in the world still exist. Um, and not so much on the military side, but in other sort of, you know, developing nations. And, and if you kind of like have that perspective of like, this is, you know, at least to me that this could be the worst case scenario of what our service members could be going through had we otherwise not developed these, these countermeasures. I, I think, you know, having that perspective is a real sort of um, eye opener. And it, it certainly was for me, but but again, not not a not a quick read, not a fun read, but um, an interesting read. And uh, again, it's Biology for Human Starvation by uh, Ansel Keys. And just more recently, there's there's a book, you know, and I I, I kind of it, it's funny. Um, I I <laughs> I just uh, was reading something where a bunch of celebrities were promoting this book. Um, it's called Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, and this book you can actually find on like Audible or something like that. So this is a good page turner. It just talks about business. It talks about developing relationships in business. It talks about developing, I don't want to see your brand because I think that's kind of becoming a, a sort of a hackneyed thing to say, like, you know, a, a personal way to express yourself in your given industry. But um, it, it talks about those things and it's, it kind of made me, and I read this in around the time I started with KBR and it made me understand that you need to, or, or a, a professional should, you know, be able to 
take in the industry, but also give back to the industry. So you're developing that sort of, you know, that, I want to say brand again, but developing that. And, and your brand can be that you're a dependable worker who's knowledgeable in the field, who's producing high quality, you know, manuscripts. And, and that's great. That's fine. I think that's, that's a very noble, you know, endeavor, you know, but for someone like me, I read that and I go, well, I, you know, I need to, you know, be more reliable in my knowledge base and my teammates can look to me and without, you know, drop the ball, like I can give you the breakdown of this market. Um, but again, that comes back to sort of, you know, recognizing your own personal brand and your value to your organization. Um, but some other things though, the, the books, I would say finding a mentor, Men mentors are tough to find, but if you're, if you're able to engage with one, it's not like you're entering into a formal process. Like, do you want to be my mentor? <laughs> right. That, that, that sounds almost childish. Right. And I, I know it's very pie in the sky, you know, but with Dr. Nindel, I was, you know, it was just, it was, the, it's been one of the best, the best relationships, not personal, not professional, both personal and professional relationships that I've ever had with him. And this is, and, you know, getting back to the, or, getting back to student membership, I met this gentleman in a parking lot at a student ACSM conference that he was going to be the judge on for posters on. And this was 20 plus years ago. And, you know, I, I still talk to him on a regular basis. So, and, you know, things about career growth come up and then things about family come up and it's both ways. And so um, if you find someone that that's willing to, you know, take that, um, investment with you, it really pays off dividends down the road. You always have an advocate, you always have someone to bounce ideas off of, and you'll always have someone, and this is, you know, this has been my case, is you always have someone to say, like, mm -mm, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, I know you. you. You don't do that to yourself. Like, maybe, you know, don't make the decision or don't move or don't take this position. So it's, it's good to have those people in your corner who actually care about you as a person you know, and inlay, you know, the professional, the professional side to see how you'd be agile as a, as a, you know, as a, as a person to your decisions. No, that's, uh, that's awesome. Some great res uh, uh, resources mentioned there, Joe, and I'll make sure I'll stick them mm -hmm. into our, our show notes as well. Um, obviously, Joe, once again, you know, it's, it's been awesome just to actually finally get a chance to sit down and have like a nice long conversation with you, dude. I think you've given out like a lot of great information here for anyone who's listening as well. Um, you know, if anyone's listening, it's just like, right, cool. Oh, I've got a couple of questions for Joe or want to reach out and find out a bit more. What's the best ways they can do? Yeah. That, well, I mean, obviously if, if they, if they come to you and you, you can just, you can just, you know, uh, provide my information. I'm an open book, but I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I think you are too. So that that's always good. Right. Um, just look me up, you know, Joseph Alamini on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on ResearchGate, the same name. And that, that's another good way to have people get exposure to the sort of the, the fields because people are connected to one another, kind of like they're connected on like Facebook or, or Twitter. Um, or my email, you know, if, if you know, it's, it's just joe.alamini at us.kbr.com. Um, just email me directly. I, you know, I take emails at all times at night. So I'm, I'm happy to help any interested people in the field out, uh, help navigate, help sort of site set landmines and help just, you know, brainstorm and kick ideas around and uh, just be a good, uh, 
you know, professional in the field. And, you know, again, we're, we're, we're all in it together. So, you know, if, if one person has helped out, I mean, that, that's, the, that's a sort of success in my book. Sweet. That's awesome. That's awesome, Joe. I'll make sure I'll stick in um, those links into our show notes okay. as well, along with your resources, so anyone listening can just reach out to you directly. Sure. Um, Joe, you know, thank you once again, mate. It's 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 been a pleasure actually getting some time just sit and just chat with you and pick your brains on a few things as well, mate. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, no worries, Joe. Take care, buddy. Take care. Bye bye. Hi guys, really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Team Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. The continued support in us can ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.